Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. I want to talk to you today uh, a little bit about revival, um, but mostly about creating expectation creating expectation. And so I'm going to read from John 3, 16 and 17. And uh, this, this is an important scripture for all of us, but uh, I, I very rarely uh, deal with John 3, 16 without going into 17. And the main reason for this is when I was, um, when I was about 14 or 15 years old, my grandfather was uh, building the church uh, out in Grace Creek. And um, that was a rough summer. Grandpas don't pay well, and they work you hard. Uh, I got, um, he fed me lunch, and at the end of the summer, he gave me $20 for the whole entire summer. But he was nice enough to tell me that he was not paying me for my help, that this was just a gift because he was just thankful for me, which meant I didn't have to pay tithes on it. So I got to keep that extra two bucks. That was, that was, that was okay. But uh, there is a, some of you may remember him, may not, but there was a, a old brother named um, Brother Hannah, I think was his name, and uh, something like that was his last name, and, and he was the guy that everybody talked to to get church pews. That's what he, was, that's what he did. And uh, he came to, to, uh, to get measurements for the church pews, and he walked straight up to me, and he said, hey, I'll give you $20 if you can quote John 3.17. And so I said, uh, I can quote 316. He said, nope, I want 317. So uh, I said, no, I can't do that. So I, I went around the corner and found a Bible and memorized it real quick and came back like five minutes later and said, hey, I want to quote that scripture for you. He said, go ahead. So I did, and I said, where's my $20? He said, that was for a while ago. Next time someone offers you $20, you'll remember that scripture. So I've never forgotten John 317, but... It's also, it's just an important scripture. Does anyone in here, can you quote John 3, 17? One, two, three, four, we got about five. And uh, many of us, we, we don't pay it any, any attention. So I want to read 3, 16 and 17 um, to you today. And I'm going to read it because I just said I could quote it, so I don't want to mess it up on my quoting. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Father, we just thank you for your word today, God. Well, we thank you for your presence in this place. God, we just ask your blessing upon this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to talk about revival a little bit and, and just share some thoughts with that about, about creating expectation. And a lot of this is going to go back to um, my normal train of thought of changing the way that we think about things or looking at things from a, from a kind of a different perspective. 
And because we talk about revival a lot in the church. Seems like all the time, some people, but are we really expecting one? Do we really want one? Are we really longing for it? Do we want it to come and, and are we as desperate for it as we should be? Because this world's in desperate need of revival. The church is in desperate need of revival and America is in desperate need of revival. Sometimes it's easy to not realize, uh, I don't like to dwell on how bad things are, but at the same time, we need to realize how bad things are. This country uh, seems to be bankrupt financially, morally, spiritually, in, all, in almost every way it seems like. And so just to kind of put this in perspective, uh, if you Google this, you can see it too. Uh, one million seconds ago, one million seconds ago was 11 days, 13 hours, 46 minutes, and 40 seconds. One billion seconds ago was over 31 years and eight months. So 1991 was one billion seconds. One trillion seconds ago is over 31,688 years. That's like 29,665 B.C. So almost 30,000 years, uh, 30,000 B.C. Now, it's reported that we're about, what, 31 trillion in debt? Now think about that. If one trillion seconds is over 31,000 years ago, and we're 31 trillion in debt. I think it's easy to see that we need a move of God in America. Isn't like I said, not, and who knows what's worse? Is it our financial bankruptcy or is it our moral bankruptcy that we see uh, going on all around us? And so um, it, it just seems like we, we need to understand the importance of revival and the importance of creating expectation for revival. So I want to give you real quick here at the beginning three uh, keys that I feel are for revival. Number one is forgive. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the story is, you have to forgive. You're not going to experience victory while you're being a victim. It's just not going to happen. Even if you were wronged, even if you're, you're completely right in everything that you say about the situation, you still have to forgive. The second thing is ask for more. If we really believed there was more, wouldn't we ask for it? We know He's a good Father. We know He'll give it to us. And number three is don't take no for an answer. And what that means is quit believing the lies of the enemy that tells you that it can't happen. Not here, not now. That's for someone else. That's for some other time. Now that sounds easy enough, but are we willing to do what it takes? Are we willing? Or do we really want revival? Are we, uh, are we thinking in a way and are we living our lives in a way that we're uh, with excitement and with expectation? Or are we just living our lives in a way that we're just going to accept what the world tells us? And so I read 3.16 and 17, uh, one, because it just means a lot to me, but also because there are a lot of people that they're not expecting revival because they think that God is all about punishing evil. They think that's his whole, whole purpose. Now, God does hate sin. We know when Jesus took all of our sins upon him on the cross that God turned away. He wouldn't even look at sin. He hates evil. He does. But God sent Jesus because He loved us. That's what it says in the scripture that we just read. That's why He sent Him. He sent Him so that we could be restored to the Father. That we could, He could reveal the Father to us and restore us to the Father. He hates evil, but He's not scared of it. It's not a problem for Him. And in case no one's ever told you, 
uh, our God is a good God. He's a good Father. He's a nice God. Now, He's holy. There's a lot of people that seem to, when they talk about how good God is, they forget that He's holy. There, that's important to remember too, but he's, he's a good God, and not only is He a good God, He's in a good mood. And if we would hang out with Him as much as we claim that we do, it might rub off every now and then. Have you, you've seen people, and they claim like they spend all this time with God, and they're some of the meanest people that you ever run into. They're hateful, they're negative, they're, all the, they're nothing like God, but they claim they're hanging out with Him all the time. Now, if you hang out with somebody, you tend to be like them. Believe it or not, Heather used to not have a country accent. And believe it or not, when we first started dating, mine got better. And then that quickly changed, and I went back to normal, and hers got a lot, a lot worse. So, but she, hung, she hangs out with me, and so it's going to rub off. And so we need to realize that about God. If we'll just hang out with Him and spend time with Him, we'll begin to see things His way. We'll begin to have that positive outlook, knowing that God wants to send revival. And not only is He in a good mood, but He's seeking those that will worship Him. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But John 4, 23, it says, But the time has come, and indeed it's here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. So God loves us, and He's looking for us to love Him and to worship Him. And we need to be able to give that love, and we need to be able to receive that love. We have to get rid of that orphan attitude. We have to stop it. We have to, we have to stop with the victim mentality because we get to get, the orphan attitude, is that's the, that's the attitude of feeling like you need to do it yourself. You have to do it yourself if you're ever going to get anything. You have to do it yourself if you're ever going to uh, uh, go anywhere or get anywhere in life. We're children of God. We're royalty. We're His. He wants to do amazing things. He, he, he loves us. He wants to bless us. He wants to do amazing things through us for His glory and for His, for His kingdom. But a lot of people don't see it that way. They want to accept Jesus, but then they're scared of God. And not in the healthy way of being of the fear of the Lord, but in the way that makes absolutely no sense. I saw a t-shirt one time, and... Uh, on the front of it, it said, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And it was a funny shirt to see it, someone wearing it who had kids, too. They had kids with them. But that's how a lot of people look at God. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of churches operate. Week after week, it's just another beating from the pulpit. They're trying to beat people to make them live right. And they think that's the way God operates. Now, there is a life to live. God is holy. We should live a life acceptable to Him. But he, that's not how He operates. He's not just trying to rain down punishment to make people live right. Now, there are consequences for sin. I, I, don't even want to say, I usually don't even say consequences. I say they're products of sin. Because Jesus took all of that on the cross, but they're still products. It produces death. It produces sickness. It produces all these things in our lives. But what if we really began to, to focus and think about how much God's wanting to, to bless us and bless those that love Him and worship Him, the ones that He's looking for, and realize that He's on our side. And that's a pretty good place to be. No matter what situations are going on, He's on our side. Instead of always thinking and talking about evil and punishment, and I know someone's probably already thinking, well, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? That's usually where the go-to. You know, God... He destroyed the city because of the evil and the wickedness that was there, didn't He? Well, 
That just depends on how you look at it. Depends on how your mind works, how you think. Because if you read in Genesis 18, God is, he tells Abraham what's going on. Abraham starts this conversation with him about what if there's 50 righteous people? God says if there's 50 righteous, he, won't, he will not destroy the city. So then he drops down. I think he goes to 45, then 40, then 30. Uh, and he gets to 10. And when he gets to 10, he said, well, what if there's only 10 righteous people in the city? Will you still destroy the city if I can find 10 righteous people? And God tells him no. He says, I, I, I won't destroy the city if you can just find 10 righteous people. And we know that they couldn't find 10. And so Sodom and Gomorrah were, were destroyed. So now the question has to be, did God destroy the city because of the presence of wickedness and evil? Or did he destroy the city because of the lack of righteousness? See, it's all, all in how you look at it. He wasn't going to destroy the city. Just ten righteous people and he wouldn't destroy it. See, he's, he's looking. He's not looking. For, you don't have to look far to find wickedness. It seems like it's popping up everywhere. Every, every day it seems like we're hearing more and more things that blow our minds that we can't believe has been going on the whole time around us. But he's still looking for the righteous. And there are some righteous people in America. Yes, there's some bad things going on in the world and there's some bad things going on here, but God is still looking for the righteous because He's a good God. He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He not only wants to give us revival, He wants us to live in revival. He wants us to be the norm. But in order for us to do that, we have to change the way we think. We have to, we have to see things the way that God sees them and not fall for two of the greatest temptations that we all face. There are some things that you may face that don't bother me and some things that bother me that you won't even realize are going on in your life because we're all built differently. But these two things we will all face. And those two temptations are to doubt what God has said about us and to forget God's mighty works. It happens to everyone. Just look at how the enemy tried with Jesus. Uh, they sang about it this, this morning with the song about the dove. Uh, I, had I don't know why, maybe I've heard someone say it before, but I'd never really thought about that, about when the dove went out at the ark and then it never returned and then it, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Christ. That was a powerful illustration to me when they were singing that. But, but, um, so with this, Jesus is being baptized. The Father makes a declaration over him. And he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so then the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and he's to be tempted by the devil. And the first thing the devil says is, if you are the Son of God. So the enemy was directly challenging the word that God had just spoken over Jesus. He had just said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. First thing the enemy says, if you are the Son of God. See, the temptation wasn't just to turn stones to bread. It wasn't just to jump. It wasn't just to bow down to, to Satan. The temptation started with the enemy trying to get Jesus to doubt what God has said about him. And he does the same thing to every person in here. He starts that little whisper in our ear, you're not good enough, you've messed up too bad this time, that's for everybody else, that'll never happen for you. He tries to get us with the doubt what God has said, but we need to be like Jesus and not, not fall for this temptation. We need to hold on to what God has said about us. And so I've written down some things that God has said about me. He said them about all of us. First, he said that I'm a child of God. He said that I'm a branch of the true vine and a conduit of the life of Jesus Christ. 
He said that I'm a friend of Jesus and I've been justified and redeemed. And because of that, I'm no longer a slave to sin. He says that I can do all things through Christ and I've been set free from the law of sin and death. And as a child, uh, as a child of God, I'm a fellow heir with Christ. In Christ, I have wisdom. I have righteousness, sanctification and redemption. And now my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. I'm a new creature in Christ. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm God's workmanship created to produce good works. I have boldness and confident access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. God supplies all my needs, and He loves me, and He's chosen me. It's what He says about me. It's what He says about you. All of us here today, we need to believe it, and we need to hold on to it. How many of you, if you just think you don't even have to raise your hand, it won't take long. You can think of a time where the enemy has questioned one of those statements about you. He's come up and said it to you. If this is true, why, what about this? What about that? To get you to question what God has said. We don't need to allow the enemy to cause us to doubt what God has spoken about us or over us in any, any way. We need to hold on to those truths. The second temptation is to forget the mighty works of God. Now, I was... Uh, talking with a pastor friend of mine uh, years back, and he was talking about things going on in his church, exciting things. And uh, we got to talking about uh, religion. Now, anytime I say anything negative about the church, I'm talking about an organization or a government body, never the bride of Christ. Anytime we, I say something about religion, the same thing, I'm talking about the man-made stuff that we add to it traditions and things like that never never about having a relationship with the lord and so he was talking and he said he made the statement he said the only thing that can destroy religion and the bondage of religion upon people is the supernatural we need to see the miracles of god and he just kind of got got into that that and and i began to think about it and as we were talking see in many ways we've we've become so religious that we've lost our identity Everybody's talking about their identity these days and trying to figure it out, but the church in some ways has lost our identity as believers because we've forgotten about the mighty works of God. And so our identity has to become what church we go to, what organization, what denomination, what our theology is, what doctrinal beliefs we hold on to instead of, the, the, instead of it being identified as a child of God, instead of being identified as a believer, a follower of Christ, a Christian, all those things that, that, that we are. We've forgotten the mighty works of God. We've forgotten that we're supernatural and that we should be experiencing the miraculous on a regular basis because of whose we are. And see, the way that we get back our identity and not forget the, is not forget the mighty works of God through the power of testimony, which gets me to the couple of dreams I've been having of people testifying. See, a testimony is important. It's powerful. It's the written or spoken record of anything that God has done. And see, every part of that record becomes our family history the moment that we're born again. If we're born again, your testimony is my testimony. Things God has done for you is part of my story. It's part of, uh, of, of my history. It all works together. Everything in this book is part of my history. Every miracle, every sign, every wonder. In Psalms 119 111, David declared this, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. He didn't say, I like your testimonies. He didn't say your testimonies have inspired me. He said, I've inherited your testimonies 
They're mine forever. They're the joy of my heart. When we're born again, every story of every miracle, of every sign or wonder that God has ever performed, it becomes our story because we have become related to the God that made it happen. It's all ours. See, why are we not seeing the miraculous in the church today? Could it be because we've forgotten the importance of the testimony and remembering the mighty works of God? Maybe that's why the enemy had all those crazy people get up and want to testify that they had to shut down the testimony services because he knew the power of the testimony. He tries to mess up everything. It's what he does. Have, has anyone here, you ever been in one of those powerful testimony services where like the spirit just broke out when someone was telling just a simple testimony of being saved or being healed or a lost loved one coming back? Anything like that. There's some of the most powerful services you've ever, ever been to. One, because if they just follow the leading of the spirit, we, man doesn't have a chance to get in the way and mess up what God's wanting to do. The Holy Spirit's just free to, free to work. And so we've, we've, I feel like we've lost that a lot. And we're not having a testimony service today, but we might in the future. We need to understand that the testimony is important because every record of what God has done in generations past is also a promise of what He will do again and again and again. It's for us and for every generation after that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He's no respecter of persons. And not only that, Revelations 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's power in the testimony. When we declare what God has done, not only do we remember His mighty works, but power is being released. Power is being released to make that testimony happen again in the lives of those who hear it. But there's so many things that just, it's like they never get, they never get told. Dad and I were listening to a, a, a sermon the other day, and uh, the guy was telling testimonies from 30 years ago. And I've heard those testimonies probably 15 years ago, him tell them. And guess what was happening? The same thing that happened 15 years ago when he told him was still happening because there's power in the testimony. It never gets old. It doesn't, I don't care how old the testimony is. The enemy sometimes tells you that. You, you don't need to keep sharing that. You've been saved 40 years. Why do you need to tell that person of how you got saved or how you got healed when you are in your 20s and now you're in your 50s? It doesn't matter. It never gets old. There's power in the testimony. The testimonies of the mighty works of God are important. See, just think about all the different groups of believers that don't expect to see the miraculous. They don't expect to see it happen. And this is, I'm talking about the people that actually believe in it. The churches that believe in miracles, but they're not expecting miracles. They're not experiencing miracles. And now think about all the ones that don't even believe it can happen. And some of those, the reason they don't believe it can happen is they've never heard a testimony. They've never seen a test. They've been around testimonies, but they've never seen a testimony because the people have never shared their testimony with them. They don't understand about how, how, how God has healed this person or made a way when it looked like there was, there was no way that they were ever going to be able to survive a situation. See, when this happens, we begin to live defeated lives and not lives of revival. And it's, it's one of the things going on in the church. You know, this is something different, but... So I don't do a lot of yelling and screaming. So I get, sometimes I get, uh, 
when I'm around yellers and screamers, uh, sometimes they don't realize they're insulting me when they do. So I just let it go. But they'll say something about, man, uh, me and you, we kind of speak different. You know, I, I really preach. So, so, and then they apologize if they realize it. But some of them don't even realize it. I said, okay, that, hey, that's good. Good for you. And, uh, but there's a lot, there's become a lot more of, I guess, calm speakers and people who are doing, you know, some people criticize them for being just self-help messages instead of they're not really preaching, they'll say that. Well, one of the reasons there has to be so many self-help preachers today, I believe, is because so many people are living defeated lives because they don't know the power of a testimony. They're not hearing about the power of God. They're not hearing about the miracles that are going on. If nothing's going on in your life, go. You can find something online. Uh, probably, about, probably about 10 years ago, I, I used to pull up this video on, um, you know, you meet somebody and this, they're unique and you can't forget them. Well, I met this guy. I didn't meet him personally. We were at a, an event. I think Monty was with me. And uh, this guy, he would go to India, I believe it was. And uh, he could sing just like Brian Adams, okay? Some of y'all got to know who Brian Adams is. So um, he was a famous singer in the 80s and 90s. And he's got one of them real rough voices that sounds like he gets up every morning and swallows a cup of razor blades. It's just real, like, he's good. And he said that over in, I think, I think it was India. Monty, was, was it you with me? He, he said that they're like 20... To 25 years behind America. So whatever was cool here, I hope there's nobody from India gonna get that's been to India is gonna be mad at me. Maybe it wasn't India. He said, so whatever's cool 20 years ago is the thing there. And he said they love Brian Adams. And so he got to go to uh, these places uh, because he can sing like Brian Adams. So he gets there and they get him to sing Brian Adams songs and he's singing all that, you know. Boys of Summer and all that stuff and different things and the, the song from uh, Robin Hood. And uh, at the end, he preaches to them. So this is how he gets his foot in the door, then he preaches to them. Well, he got to go to this one place because they heard how good he could sing. And while they're talking to him, they said, yeah, we run a school for deaf children. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I would be glad to sing for you, but I would really like to go talk to the, to the deaf children when I finish. And um, they took him back there, and it's on somewhere on YouTube. I can't remember the number of uh, kids, but it was, uh, I don't know, it was, I can't think of, think of 70-some kids, and about half of them instantly received their healing. And all he did was give them a simple testimony and tell them how Jesus could heal and it changed everything. And you can see it right on their faces or lighting up as they're hearing them clap or snap or whatever they, uh, they were doing. But there's so many people, they don't, they don't know anything about testimony. So they're living defeated lives. So they need somebody, instead of warning them about the schemes of the devil and telling them about the things of the Spirit and how they can grow in their relationship with God, there's just, just preachers every Sunday. They're just trying to get people to make it through the week. And then, you know, then they just get bashed for that. So I'm not bashing anybody for that. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we get upset about. And if you'll take the time to look at it, there's usually a reason. And you can, you can find that reason. But I, I think a lot of it is because we've lost the power of the testimony. 
And because we've lost the power of the testimony, their expectation for revival has gone right away with it. All we do is talk about it, but we really don't expect it. And we're not creating that expectation. And so I'm going to show you this in Psalm 78, verse 9 through 11. It says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in His law and forgot His works and His wonders that He had shown them. Now, this sounds like a lot of church people. This sounds like the church in general. These people were equipped for battle. It says, uh, uh, it's, Shane, leave it up there a second for me. That scripture again at the beginning, verse 9. They're armed and they're carrying bows. So they're ready, for, they're prepared for battle. The problem was not that God had sent them into battle without preparation or without what they needed to win the battle. But the next verse, we see what the problem is. They did not keep covenant with God. They refused to walk in His law. And this is, we would say, since uh, now we're new covenant, we would say just walking in obedience and being led by the Spirit. And they forgot His works and His wonders that He had shown them. See, there are a lot of people that they're not in covenant with God. They come to church every week, but they're not living in, they're not living in a covenant life. Uh, their covenant is only with being at church on Sunday. I know there's a lot of people that don't go to church, but there's a lot of people that they go to church, but they don't live a life in covenant with God. And they, they may even go to Bible study, and they may even do different things, religious things, but they're not walking in obedience and living a life led, to, uh, led by the Spirit. And a lot of that goes back to the, to the last part, is they've forgotten the works and the wonders that God has shown them. Many of them now haven't even forgotten. They've just never heard about it. They just think it's Bible stories. They don't realize that this is part of their testimony. And there's no other testimonies that are, that are being shown. The children of Ephraim, uh, they had the testimonies of all that God had done for their fathers. And if they would have declared them, they would have had the courage to step out in faith. And they would have released the prophetic anointing to repeat those same acts of victory in their lives. See, the problem was that they had forgotten the testimonies. And because of that... They lacked the strength and the faith they needed to face the battle. See, honestly, think about the church in America. Think about the, the shape that it's in. When we have some of the best Bible teaching that there has ever been. I know there's been great Bible teachers throughout the generations, but even, even now, uh, I don't have my phone on me, but you have more resources on your phone than any of them had. Do you know what, how big of a library it would take to hold the information you have on that phone? I don't even want to guess. We'll probably need to go back to the numbers with the trillions. It's crazy what it would take to hold that information. And we have that. You have churches in every town, sometimes on every street. You could walk from here and get to a church within five minutes walking and then get to another one within five minutes. And another, you probably, I don't know how many you could get to before it would take you longer to five, than five minutes to get to another one. You can go five miles in each direction and hit another church in the same denomination. There's churches everywhere. And if not, if you end up in a place that doesn't have them on every corner like we do in Fayetteville, you can listen, read, watch, anything you want, the best teaching around, anytime, any place, over the Internet. So it's there. Bible teaching is there. Everything to equip you, to empower you, all the bows and arrows you need, they're there. There are plenty of sources for believers to be armed for battle. But yet so many people are still defeated. 
Could it be that so many are walking away and suffering defeat because we've forgotten the testimonies of the mighty works of God in our lives and in the lives of those before us? See, even if we're armed and carrying bows, unless we remember what God has done and rise up in the faith provided in the power of the testimony, we will also back away from our divine opportunities for victory that are right in front of us. I wonder how many times we already have. All of us. So we must keep the testimony. Failing to keep the testimony not only makes us forget who God is, but also who we are. And if we don't know where we came from, we're not going to know where we're going, and we're sure not going to know how to get there. We need to establish a culture of the testimony again in the church, in our personal lives, in our homes. When we do, it's going to make that expectation rise and that faith rise to experience revival. I can still remember testimonies that my grandfather would tell me. Some of them I wish he would have quit telling me because they kind of scared me. And I can remember through the years, even after he passed away, I would bump into people that knew my grandfather and guess what they would do? They would start telling me a testimony and it would be the same thing he had told me when I was younger. And it would, it would match up just like what he said, confirming it. And guess what would happen when it was confirmed? My faith, and my, the, way, the way I felt about it, I always believed my grandfather, but at the same time, doubt would go down and faith would rise when I would hear other people tell the exact same testimony about the power of God. See, that's when we remember the great and mighty works of the Lord and we begin to see them happen again and again in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our grandkids' lives. We will be filled with boldness like David and, and Joshua, no longer sitting around and just complaining about how bad things are or how we're just going to hold on and hope to make it in one day, but we will start aggressively advancing the kingdom for the glory of God. See, we'll begin to truly live the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll realize that we can have victory here and now. We can experience the miraculous here and now, and we can, we can have life more abundantly here and now. There's a quote that Heather read to me. She might not even remember, but I found it written down. Because we have kind of like, you know how you steal a quote? I'm going to go ahead and admit it. You just sound so good, but you just change it up and make it yours. We have worked this quote into several things, and you'll hear us say it, because we'll make statements like, um, revival looks like family, heaven looks like family, and I believe those. But this quote is where we got it from, whether you remember or not. And it was it said this, I don't even know where she got it, but it's the more that heaven comes to earth, the more earth looks like family. And then you have to ask yourself the question, where's the unity in the church? How many things are attached to the power of the testimony? Because when they, man, when they used to have the testimony services, it seemed like the church was so close to each other back then. The different people. Like, like real relatives. See, we need revival. I said, there's information everywhere telling people about the love of God, but we need revival because our family needs us to show them the love of God through great and mighty acts of God and through the power of the testimony. And I believe that if we'll do that, that the expectation for revival will rise and that God's going to meet that expectation. He always goes above and beyond. He'll never let us down. He's never failed. He's not going to start with us. It's not going to start with our generation. He wants to do amazing things, and He chooses to partner with us. I don't know why. I would have done it differently. 
But He's chosen to partner with us with all of our faults and all of our, all of our shortcomings. And still, we get the opportunity. Father, we just thank You for the testimonies of each and every one of these men and women of God up front here, God. Lord, I just thank You for all the times that You've saved and You've healed and you delivered and you provided and you made a way, Lord, that You've worked signs and wonders and miracles, God, of protection and provision and, and just everything that You've done. Lord, I thank You that I still have my mom because of Your healing power. I thank You, Lord, that the doctor's report is not the final report, Lord. And so, God, we just want to begin to release these testimonies over every person in this place. I pray that you just begin to speak to hearts and minds, God, and that we would just, we would just see miracles over and over, God, that we won't forget your mighty works, God, that we'll walk in covenant with you, Lord, that we'll walk in obedience led by the Spirit, God, and that we'll choose to forgive in every situation, God, that we'll continue to go after you with all that we are, asking for more of you, more of your presence, more of your glory, more of your uh, more of all that you are, God, and that we won't listen to anything that the enemy tries to get us to believe, Lord. We won't take no for an answer because we know that every promise you've given us is true. And, Lord, that your testimony is our testimony. As soon as we were born again, we inherited it all, God, and we just thank you for it. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the power of the testimony, God. We thank you for revival, God. We thank you for every blessing, Lord, every promise, every story that's that's ours. And God, I just pray and uh, uh, giving you thanks and glory for all that you're going to do. Everything we're going to get to experience and encounter, God. Help us not ever forget the power of our testimony to continue to share with others, God. Lord, I pray a blessing over every person in this place. And I just pray that you'd be with them all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.